This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. What's up? Hey everybody, welcome to Recovery Revolution Live. Oh yeah, funky, funky. What's up you guys? <laughs> What's going on? What's happening? Good to see you. I'm, I'm glad I'm off exile this week. You are never, never on exile. Exactly. Hi Pamela. You were literally never exiled. Ever. No. Drama. You are drama. Well, <laughs> I am what I am. That's okay, as long as you embrace it and admit it. Amen. We are currently waiting on Sean Weiss to show up. We have no clue where he's at at the moment, so please right. bear with us. We will try to entertain you to the best of our ability. Jason might be dancing. He might rip off the shirt. I will not rip off the shirt. <laughs> uh, man, you know, what do you say? These Hollywood types, man. <laughs> he he confirmed yesterday. Confirmed. So I don't know. Hopefully he does show. If not, we're working on a backup plan. But even then, you know, uh, we Do definitely we definitely welcome any uh Ideas for topics uh, that if anybody watching would want to hear us talk about, um, you know, just holler at us in the in the chat and we'd be glad to do it. So, yeah, let's talk some recovery. How about that? Amen, brother. But that's such a broad. It was Valentine's Day this week. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I saw somebody's post and, and they talked about a zero proof wine, which I didn't even knew that exists. I knew there was zero proof beer, but I didn't know wine existed. And they were talking about how they had a bottle of zero proof wine for Valentine's day. Hmm. So we could talk about different ideas on how to celebrate your recovery while celebrating holidays or different functions. I usually get one of those fancy, Bottles of like sparkling white grape, you know, it's just juice, but it looks like like champagne or something, you know. Diet Coke. Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> holding up. That's just so mean. I got AG's drink here. Oh, no, I've quit. I've. Oh, I've Pamela said. Diet Coke's in the last like month. Pamela says, "I don't think everyone knows each one of your personal stories." Also, how did you all get together? Hmm, I like that. So we could give the Reader's Digest version of each of our stories and then talk about how we met. Okay. Let's do it. Who's first? <laughs> you could show the picture of when we met, too. We have a <coughs> Oh, yeah, all three of us do. I, I, I could maybe uh, get that going. Can we send it to you? Oh, yeah, you could. I have it as well, but I 
it'd probably be quicker if you sent it to me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you guys uh, want to share a little brief uh, mini version of our stories, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, do it up. I mean, yeah. I don't mind if AG goes first. <laughs> She's trying to send me a picture, man. <laughs> Just kidding. So what are you saying? I got to go first? No, you don't have to. I can. What's up, Brett? What's up? I did it, buddy. I did it. I didn't botch the intro. Good. <laughs> Uh, I'm running the stream, obviously. Brett's not here right now. He might show up later. Uh, he says, what's up to the family? Recovery Revolution family. I guess I'll start. I'm uh, Jason Rudine. Uh, I grew up uh, with a single mother household. You know, my mom got in a really bad car accident when I was like five almost died. She was in a coma for three months and then hospitalized for three more months. And during that time, I was um, bouncing around from some different family members and I got molested by my cousin who was kind of my daycare guy, whatever. He was 16. I was five. He, you know, molested me repeatedly. And that was something that would factor into later, but I I just moved on from it. Like kids are so resilient. They can box it up, forget all about, uh, you know, kind of block it, whatever compartmentalizing it's called. And so that's what I did. And I didn't ever remember it again until I was like 13. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, my mom, she had changed from her head injury and it was a whole thing <laughs> that, uh, you know, we were going through, she just had a big time drinking problem, a lot of anger issues, a little bit of violent tendencies, but more verbal and emotionally abusive at that time when we were really young or when I was young, I should say. When I was eight, she had my brother. And when I was 10, she had my sister. And I took care of them a lot until I was about 13 because, uh, you know, all the drama and the domestic situations and, and mom being either at work or at the bar. So kind of got gypped out of a real childhood, you know, uh, for the most part. And then she got in trouble or whatever. And I, I was off to the races and I capitalized on that. I ran away a lot and I was always gone and I would guilt her, uh, so it gave me a lot of freedom. She wasn't super strict. And I, I was started partying pretty young. I was like 11 when I started smoking regularly and drinking and smoking weed. And by the time I was 13, I was starting to sell weed. And then when I was 15, I started selling everything under the sun, pretty much. And I was a drug dealer for all my teens. I had a I was a virgin until I was 17, but I had a kid at 18. So I was like, I swear the first time I had sex, I got her pregnant. And, uh, you know, I, I had two kids within two years right away. So when, one when I was 18, one when I was 20. And then when I was 21, we split up. And I wasn't planning on leaving my kids, but it ended up being that I was estranged from my kids. So I've, you know 
just, I guess, uh, full disclosure or, or, you know, for lack of a better term, I was a deadbeat dad. I didn't want to be, but I was, and I turned to what I knew, you know, self-medicate, get high, get drunk, uh, get lost in the hustle, keep them busy, all that good stuff. So I, I struggled for many years. I started shooting up when I was 16. So I was a junkie <laughs> for periods. And then I would kind of give up one crutch for another. I'd stop shooting up. So I'd think I was a golden boy because I was just doing, oh, there's the picture of us. <laughs> good job, Ashley. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, in and out of uh, the needle thing. And I don't know, it, it took me to dark places, man. I have two failed marriages. Like I said, two kids that I've been estranged from since they were one and three. And uh, now they're 24 and 22. So that makes me, I'm almost 43 years old. I didn't get clean till I was 36. And started trying when I was 35, but you know, I, I just, I never knew that I was the problem is what I would say. You know, it was all those years I struggled and I tried to fix my life and change the direction it was going. It didn't matter because I was really lost in thinking that everybody else was the problem. The world was the problem. And I didn't see my part in things at all until, you know, I finally asked for help and let people guide me in, in the rooms and in recovery. So I'm, I'm, I'm just the lucky one, you know, one of the lucky few that actually was humbled to the core enough to, to find help. I should be in prison right now or dead. And I was looking at 98 months in prison, uh, freaking towards the end of my last kind of hoorah. I was selling meth for the cartel and then I got popped with a bunch of dope, but got set up by one of my best customers. And, and then I had, that's when I had to really open my, you know, eyes to what was going on. And I had to get honest and and shed the secrets and tell my ex-wife, you know, what I'd done and uh, thought I was going to lose my youngest son uh, during that. He's 11 now. At the time, he was like four. And uh, I'm, I can't tell you guys how grateful I am today that I, that relationship that I have with my son. And, uh, you know, I thought I was a pretty good dad when I was using and stuff, but you know, it's just so much deeper and better now, you know, and it's nice because recovery, no matter what your pathway, you learn these principles to live your life by, and you can, you can teach those, you can pass that wisdom onto your children. And that's a big blessing. One of my proudest moments is when I, when I see these teachable moments and I can guide my son, uh, even if it's just through a chat, you know, plant some seeds, uh, teach them about the basic principle of the matter. It's it's something that, you know, before I would have been baffled on how, <laughs> you know, how to deal with those situations. And of course, I'm not used to older children. So every time I see him, you know, he's older, he's smarter. And it's a, it, 
it presents a new set of consequences. But you know, I'm I'm really uh, grateful to have this chance to live two lives in one lifetime, and uh, yeah. So I found, grateful to have you, buddy. Thank you. I found purpose through through podcasting and service work and sponsorship and everything. We're lucky you're here. Yeah. Thank you. Very blessed. You're a blessing to so many. Thanks, guys. We have a guest. Can you guys hear me? Hey, Richard Jensen, the man, the myth, the legend, the ESPN. Guy. Oh, my God. Thank you. That was a great entry. It's almost like red carpet. and Oh, come on, guys. Are you, are you driving and doing a podcast or, I mean, a live stream? Let's do it. I'm pulling right to my place here. Okay. Okay. Thank you for uh, jumping on, man. Yeah, our yeah. original guest, uh, Sean Weiss, didn't show up, so we were just going to share our stories. Oh, man, I love that. You know I love power of story. You know I'm in. Yeah, good stuff, man. So, hey, man, we're going to save you for last because you're the special guest. Oh, so. perfect. I'll you get situated. So if you want to if you want to mute your mic, that'd be great because we can yep. hear your car. And Jr. Ashley, it's your turn. Take the wheel. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'm I'm Jr. Weaver. I'm I am a person in long term recovery. My sobriety dates 11, 10, 17. I was a uh, I am an Army veteran. Uh, I found that when I got out of the Army, I kind of. Uh, forgot who I was. I lost my identity, my purpose, my reason for life. Why is it showing you, Jason? <laughs> kind of threw me off there, buddy. But uh, yeah, um, I I was one of those guys that had it, had life all mapped out. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I had a pretty good, solid military career. I thought I'd get out and use the Army College Fund, the GI Bill, you know, to you know, go to college and, you know, get my degree, get a job, you know, get, get, find a wife, get married, have, you know, 2.5 kids and, and a, you know, a dog and a cat. But what I found out was as soon as I got to college was that uh, something was either wrong with me or wrong with everybody else. And I, I, and I believed it was everybody else for the longest time. So what I, uh, what made uh, things normal for me was alcohol because it was something that, you know, the military kind of uh, didn't frown upon us drinking after, you know, after we did what we had to do. So that was always, that's always been my, my go-to. And long story short, you know, I, I ended up burning through about seven years of college and all of my, uh, my GI bill, you know, pretty much failing out of college, you know, a lot of incompletes, a lot of, uh, a lot of C's and D's and as for the classes that I actually, you know, finished and it was about four or five years into it that I, I really I saw the pattern that uh, I was going through so I, I thought it was my location you know hanging out with you know the my my old friends that were coming over you know, like almost every night and you know drinking playing spades so I figured if I got out of uh, Charleston South Carolina that I'd be able to get my life back on on course so I ended up moving up to New York you know and uh I started working full time. I, I was getting these uh, these great jobs, you know, because of because of my military experience. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long before the alcohol started uh, coming back into my life. And, you know, I started going out more and more, you know, during, you know, the, the, the week 
you know, shooting pool, uh, pool leagues. And it was like, uh, you know, running up, you know, $100, $200 bar tabs every night. So, you know, the, the alcohol, the alcohol kind of took control for a while and it was uh, starting to affect my job performance because, you know, I was showing up, you know, hungover or even calling out of work a lot, you know, more often now. And it was about this time that uh, I was introduced to cocaine. And to me, it was like, you know, my first line, you know, it made me feel like, you know, I was, uh, you know, the Incredible Hulk. And, you know, it's, to me, it was just simple, something that helped me drink more. That was my philosophy was, you know, I do a couple lines of Coke and I'll be able to stay up, you know, longer, drink more, you know, party harder. But uh, before long, the cocaine kind of replaced the, the alcohol because I quit drinking for the drugs, which is, uh, you know, something that I guess a lot of people experience. So it's like trading one addiction for the other and the, the drugs, but the drugs, you know, it, it kind of uh, consumed, consumed my life, you know, pretty much from the beginning. It, it got to the point to where I was, my dealer was coming up to my job to, you know, bring me twenties and forties, you know? So I ended up uh, leaving. I, I actually ended up getting fired from a great job, you know, getting kicked out of my, uh, my house that I was staying in with my roommate who actually was the one that introduced me to the cocaine, but you know, it, it is what it is. So I ended up uh, packing up my bags and moving back to South Carolina. You know, I, you know, I remember driving on the, uh, 95 throwing all my paraphernalia out the window and uh thinking you know i was done with the drugs you know done with the alcohol i was just gonna you know you know find a way to you know find you know my old self but uh you know i wasn't back in south carolina for maybe a week before i end up uh remembering that i knew where the dope spots were at and and that's when life really got bad i think i ended up uh doing my first prison bid my first year back, it was for bounced checks. And I mean, I mean, nobody goes to prison for fraudulent checks, but, but I did. I, in my County, it's like 30 days per bounce check. And I had like 10 of them. So I had to do uh, 10 months up the road. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, they say prison is supposed to rehabilitate you, but it, what it does is it int introduces you to the more people that you can connect with more plugs that, you know, more, that you know i got hooked up with so when i got out i knew i knew you know twice as many people so you know my life really started getting out of control it's like uh, i started running the streets you know 24 7. you know i'd go days without sleeping you know from the you know the shitty hotel rooms to sleeping in my car you know to spend the burning every penny that i ever got you know for drugs and is uh from the alcohol through the drugs, I think I was, I was uh, pretty much in heavy addiction for about 25, 26 years before in 2016, I was, I was uh, arrested for drug possession in, in one county, ended up doing, spending like a hundred days in, in county jail, bonded out, uh, ended up catching another felony charge in another county, bonded out, and then, uh, I was at the stage where I, I, you know, I knew I was kind of, kind of done if I ever went to court because of my past record. So I pleaded in the drug court and I ended up catching four more felonies, four more burglary felony charges. 
which I thought was the end of me because I was looking at about 20 years in prison because they had uh, the evidence was pretty locked tight on me. But uh, somehow drug court, you know, rolled all my charges together. And that was when I actually started wanting to get better, you know. So that's when I started focusing on my recovery. And, and it, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, to say is, is you're one decision away from a totally different life. And, and that's the, uh, this, the, my decision was, you know, to give recovery a chance. And that's what I did. And it, it turned, it kind of turned out that after I, I, I kind of breezed through drug court, no problems, never failed a test, you know, no sanctions whatsoever. And when I, uh, right when I was graduating, they wanted to hire me at the same hospital of my, of my last arrest. And I ended up getting hired for a federal job you know, with all my baggage and, you know, you know, and, and it's like my life just kind of took off, you know, it's like, you know, I've been blessed to be part of some great organizations like Mobilize Recovery, where I met Jason and, and Ashley, you know, I'm a, I'm a certified peer support specialist. I am a, uh, I'm the author of the Addiction Manifesto. Uh, I'm a Palmetto Pathfinder. I was senior mentor for Veterans Treatment Corps for a while too. And now I'm in Costa Rica recovery. I'm the uh, community affairs officer for Costa Rica recovery. And, you know, my life, my life is, is amazing. Recovery gave me back everything and more that my addiction, you know, had, had lied, had promised me, you know, it's, uh, I tell everybody, you know, give yourself a chance, you know, don't set limits on your recovery. Just do the right thing. Just put the, you know, one foot in front of the other, just show up, suit up and show up. You know, that's what recovery does for you. It opens doors that you would swear that your addiction would tell you that it, that there's no way they'd open, you know, but, you know, God moves mountains. And that's pretty much all I got. Man, you're a blessing, dude. Thank you. <laughs> Group Dave, Thank you for sharing or something. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, JR. Hey, <laughs> glad to be here. I'm El Capitan. Richard, yeah. they, they exiled me off my own show. <laughs> He's full of shit. Hey, <laughs> hey that, that's an excellent story, man. It truly does uh, instill a lot of hope to people. You know, lets people know that it's never over. <laughs> yeah, it's never over. As long as you have breath, I mean. True success. Thanks for sharing that. Hey. Yeah. Ashley, you're up. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know where to start. A short story of how do you like summarize your life in, you know, five minutes or less? Um, I guess you can start with substances. I mean, so I fell over at baby gate, um, in 2009 and I had a five month old and a two year old. Um, I had three surgeries in a year and a half and then I was sent to pain management. Um, so that led to eight years of active addiction to pain medicine. Um, I worked the whole time. Um, so I had a very different story than, you know, what you hear a lot of times. Um, but I, my story is a lot more common than people think. Um, there's a lot of people working in the workplace. Actually, 70% of people in active addiction are working. Um, so, you know. I worked the whole time. I was a store manager for a retail store. Um, I was actually a two-year-old coordinator, a volunteer coordinator for a large church. We, there was almost 152-year-olds in our program. Um, so here I was in active addiction, you know, 
working at a church. And um, I went to treatment in 2016. Um, and, you know, the first time I went to treatment, it was a state facility. Um, and then after a couple of days, I went to a private facility in Florida. My mom came and got me and the private facility had massages and um, they talked about trauma, um, which I had never addressed before. My dad died when I was 11, you know, and I never felt like I fit in growing up. I had problems with food, over-exercising, control, like, it, you know how there's always that, like, too much is never enough, and you know, like, so it was a control thing, you know, like, I could do well if I didn't allow myself certain foods or allow myself to do certain things or when I started exercising, I exercised too much instead of being able to do it in moderation. And my brain was always going a million miles an hour. So when I was taking pain medicine, I felt normal for once. I was able to watch TV and not have to read books and learn things and, you know, talk to people about things that they didn't care about. You know, I was able to just sit and watch a movie with my husband. And so, you know, there's always this thought that, you know, that life is chaotic and it, it was very, it felt normal until it wasn't normal. And there, you know, I was so depressed. I slept on the couch, you know, like I couldn't get out of off the couch without taking pain medication. I couldn't go to work without pain medication. If I ran out, I was taking baths and Benadryl and Imodium. And um, luckily I, I can say I'm grateful, you know, that I did work and I still, I stayed able to afford the lifestyle. So I never had to go to street drugs or, you know, and that's just, I'm just, very, very lucky because people lose their prescriptions. They lose, you know, their income, they lose everything. And that's heroin's a lot cheaper. Um, and luckily I didn't, you know, get into pain medication until after I had my children. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, pregnancy and stuff, but I can tell you, I made a lot of bad decisions because, Pain medicine ruled my life. So now I can't judge anybody. You know, before I would have judged someone, oh, you used when you're pregnant. I can't tell you I wouldn't have if I had not been an active addiction. So, so it really like, you know, active addiction levels the playing field. Um, so I, I, you know, I went to treatment that I was cured after 30 days, went back home. Um, my best friend had um, pretty much gotten a lot worse while I was gone. Um, and she ended up taking her life, which threw me back into active addiction pretty heavily. And a couple months after that, I tried to end my own life. So I've been in long-term recovery since sometime in May, 2017. Um, and when I say long-term recovery for me, that means um, pain medication, um, co-occurring mental health disorders, and I haven't tried to hurt myself or take my life since May of 2017. So that's yeah. today. And I guess today, so 
that led me to just trying to do the next right thing and try to fit into so that's when so when I first got into recovery I tried to fit in I tried to fit in this box and I didn't fit into the box I didn't smoke so I didn't fit in at the smokers table I didn't drink coffee so I couldn't be authentic and say where the meetings with the best coffee were um and and that really was hard for me for the first couple of years um and honestly depression medicine is what I think got me through the first and just fighting for my kids you know I was going through divorce and you know I I don't know I can't tell you what the magic thing was at the beginning but I think today it's not trying to fit in it's um Today, I'm the president of NAMI Florida, so we have 24 affiliates throughout the state. I served on the board of an RCO, um, and none of this is stuff I planned. I didn't, like, strategize. What am I going to do next? It was literally, hey, will you join our board? Or, hey, you have this knowledge. Will you? And then it was just, you know, um, I looked back at my life. We are at the Capitol. When was it? On the last Wednesday, I think it was. Yeah, behavioral health day at the Florida Capitol. And I met, you know, this Florida Secretary of ACA, um, you know, the Assistant Deputy Secretary for DCF, um, representatives. And it's just like they were listening to what I had to say. And it's just amazing. And I can't say that recovery is always easy and life isn't perfect because of recovery. Um, but I think I can deal with life a lot more on life's terms because of recovery. And life is beautiful because there's good and there's bad. And that's something recovery has taught me. Amen, sister. That was beautiful. Ashley, you know, you've been such a blessing in my life and you're really a blessing to so many now uh, through your work with NAMI Florida. I mean, it's amazing to see all the doors that are opening for you in your journey. And I'm proud to call you a friend. So thank you. Thank you. Good job, Ashley. Thanks for being vulnerable. Thanks. It's, that's what gets us here is just, I was on a webinar like right before this and um, they were saying, you know, guns don't kill people and fentanyl doesn't kill people. and Mental health conditions don't kill people. What kills people is secrets and shame. It's mm. the not being able to talk to somebody about what you're struggling with and not being able to, so, you know, like if you feel like you have to hold it in, you can't tell the person next to you, hey, I'm struggling with substance use disorder. I'm struggling with, I don't think I want to live tomorrow. Like if you could tell that to somebody next to you, it changes the conversation, even though you would think, oh, it's so depressing to talk about it. It actually isn't. It's pretty freeing. Yeah, totally. Connecting with other human beings, it's like medicine. You know? Knowing so not- who's going to introduce this fine gentleman to us anyway? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, guys. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on too. Kind of caught me off guard. I was in the car. I love being here with you guys. And I needed to hear your guys' message too, by the way. You know? <laughs> Amen. 
Somebody introduce me. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly don't know your name because I can't. Okay. They, they were kicking around for you. I got it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Richard Jensen. He was a uh, um, he's the be a champion for in life. He he tours the country speaking at schools. Is that awesome? Uh, he was a uh, you were collegiate uh, all American. Yeah, collegiate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude was on ESPN. He was on ESPN, so that's like, hey guys, my life hasn't always been national titles, Emmy awards, you know, um, national hope tours, talking to kids all across the country. I mean, you know, this is just uh, the, this is the incredible place I'm at right now, you know, and that's because of, you know, recovery and staying sober for extended period of time and finding myself but you know life wasn't always the all-star dad you know there was a time in my life where where you know prison and jail was in it was 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 happening um you know you got to go way back i'm an athlete i'm in high school low self-esteem came from a good home good family values a good upbringing you know, the lifestyle that I ended up in, I was not bound for, you know, um, you know my parents and, and didn't do drugs, didn't drink, you know, um, I was an athlete. I graduated from high school, but when I got out of high school, I went off fishing in Alaska and I found a really tough lifestyle up there. You know, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, a lot of money, young kid, impressionable, low self-esteem, insecure, um, still trying to find himself. And I found myself, uh, you know, making a whole lot of money in the, in the early nineties up fishing in Alaska and no way to manage that money. Um, and, uh, got introduced to drugs for the first time and, uh, it became my very best friend. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, five years of fishing, a lot of money, a lot of partying and a habit to go with it. Um, I wasn't able to get my feet back on the ground for a long time. And uh, I missed college back then. I had an opportunity to go to college wrestling. I'm a wrestler. I grew up wrestling. Um, that was that place where I found myself. You know, that's the place that I felt the sense of belonging a part of you know um and once uh once i lost that and and found uh found alcohol and drugs um it took me 20 years to get get my feet back on the ground you know and it took me to uh to jail for many years i'd done some prison time i abandoned my kids i was a deadbeat father um you know i struggled to struggled to struggled to make it and uh, you know, I spent seven years of my life locked up in jail and prison. And I remember many, many times where there was opportunities to make change. And uh, I just wasn't able to able to make that turn. You know, um, addiction had me had me pinned down to the ground pretty good. I'll never forget uh, the hopeless feeling I had, though, in 2003, I'm locked up in prison, and my, mo my mom passes, passed away on me, and uh, 
I realized that I had failed my family. I'd abandoned my kids and there I was and my mom's passing away and she died and I didn't even know that she was sick. I was so detached with the things that were important in life at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did a, did a little over a year, got out for a few months. Then I did another year and I was released to downtown Portland. And I remember I wanted to stay sober really, really bad. And I just didn't know what to do. I got released in downtown Portland. I made a conscious decision not to go back to the places I knew. I, it was a, instrumental moment and I checked into a homeless shelter and uh, I convinced myself that you know this is where life begins is here at this homeless shelter and um, you know I I remember pounding the streets uh, for for a month trying to get into a treatment center that would take me in because I wasn't mandated but I knew I needed some help and I didn't know the extent of it but I knew I wanted to stay sober and um I remember, uh, you know, that I was at the very end and I was wondering if it would happen and I was stressed out about it and because, you know, I couldn't get into a facility because I didn't have money and I didn't have insurance and they were full of all these things. And, and uh, you know, I was just kept pounding on doors. And I remember David Fitzgerald, he's a mentor, a counselor here at uh, Central City Concern and, and uh he told me if I checked in with him every day that uh, he'd see if, see if he could find me a, a spot, you know. And uh, really, it was a test to see if I really wanted to stay sober. And if I did, I'd stay clean and I'd check in every day. And I did that for a couple of weeks and I got into a bed and it changed my world. It changed my life. I ended up uh, in a treatment center for about six months. I did a mentoring program for about a year. And then I, I believed in everything that they were saying. And, you know, what Ashley was saying, what really connected with me, and, and she said it just a little differently, but when I got into those groups, that mentoring program, I'm an ex-convict. I'm a, I'm a criminal. Um, I got a different belief system. You know, I'd spent 20 years out there, um, um, and so when I got in there and I found out that these guys were all ex cons and they'd been clean for a long time and they were sober and it just gave me hope and I could connect with them at a level that I hadn't been able to in the past in treatment and, and, and different programs I'd been in. And, uh, they spoke my language, you know, um, and so we were able to connect. And I think that was a really important intervention for me, you know, is finding somebody that I could connect with that understood what I'd been through and who I was and, you know, uh, but I got sober, man. And, and, and I got sober and I ended up transitioning to uh, sober living for about another year. It was Oxford. And so, you know, I was, I was uh, in a safe place for a couple of years and, um, you know, and, 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 and I uh, kind of found myself in the process and I started getting inspired and, and believing that I could go out and do some great things and accomplish some things. And, you know, I, my, my family started healing and I got my, my, you know, I got a great, I started building a relationship with my kids and, you know, I just kind of became that man I always wanted to be in the process. And, you know, all the little wins I recognized and, um, 
you know, deep down inside, I wanted to accomplish something big. And, um, you know, I knew I was always a good guy. It's just finding, finding the, you know, the opportunity and the pathway to success. And in recovery, I found that there was so much opportunity presenting itself and I was available for it. And, um, I don't know, I had about three or four years sober and I'd always dreamed about being a national champion. And I dreamed about being back on the wrestling team where, where life was good when I was a kid and, and I was with the team and accountable and I got working on goals and health and fitness and, you know, deep down, I was supposed to be an athlete, a coach, a mentor. And, um, you know, I was 37 years old and had about four years sober or so. And I decided I was going to go make a comeback in wrestling and be part of the wrestling team and um, decided to register at the college and, you know, and every turn along the way, it was always, well, you can't do that. You're too old. You know, you can't do that. You know, you're an ex-convict. You can't do that. You're, you're, a, ex, you're a drug addict. You can't do that. You can't do that. And there were so many things that at every turn, and I just kept fighting and kicking and scratching and moving, you know. And uh, I believed that I could do whatever I set my mind set my mind to and go after it, you know, and. And I did. I went on, got on the college wrestling team. I was 37, 38. I'm the oldest that ever competed at the national tournament, you know. And it's about, you know, just keep fighting and keep moving, you know. Things are going to get hard, and you just got to believe that they're going to get better, you know. My comeback year, I lost 20-some matches, and I won one match. And uh, people didn't realize that the reason I was out there is because I was trying to win my life back. It was much bigger than wrestling, much bigger than wrestling. And, uh, you know, and I trained all summer, came back and had a winning season and ended up winning regionals and went on to nationals. And I'm one of the oldest that ever competed at the national tournament in college. And I was 38. And, you know, wrestling changed my life. And it's about finding that vehicle to help, you know, inspire you to move forward. You know, um, AA and NA and the recovery community did absolute unbelievable things for my life and then I had to find something for me and that was that vehicle and it was wrestling I think everybody has a vehicle in their life whatever that is for me it happened to be wrestling and then I went on and competed for another nine years you know and uh, won a national title and in that process you know as JD was saying my my story was on ESPN it won an Emmy award it was one of the most inspirational comeback stories and uh you know, it was about my age coming back at 38, but it was really about all that struggle that ensued over the years and to make a comeback in the sport of wrestling and, and find my way to the, to the podium, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I took my story on the road. Um, and it's because I got a bunch of letters in the mail after that ESPN documentary. I write about it in my autobiography about how, be a champion life was born, you know, um, it was about 2009, um, uh, you know, and I had about six years sober, um, story went on national television and this teacher put, played that documentary in his eighth grade class and the kids had to write me letters and ask questions and tell me stories and, you know, they told really heart-wrenching stories and I was supposed to write them back and answer their questions and, it was a moment in my life I had a chance to really impact somebody and change somebody's life and do something good. 
And so I jumped on a plane and flew out to New York and uh, met those kids and I answered their questions in person. And yeah, that's awesome. And it just inspired me to, to create, be a champion in life. These kids impacted my life enough for me to want to do more, you know? And uh, so I've been traveling, um, you know, since 2009, um, speaking in schools and, and doing leadership conferences and things and really just sharing a message of hope um, and uh, recovery uh, and encouraging leadership. Uh, and, you know, we just got back from, we've been shut down because of COVID for a few years. And I just went and took a leap of faith and went on a national hope tour with two events. And um, it was 23,000 miles. Um, and we ended up with 30 events by the time we got home. So uh, we have movement again. Um, and these kids need people like us, you know, leaders, role models, mentors, um, doing positive things and living a life of sobriety. And there's so much corrosion in the world and just the positivity and hope that and we have an opportunity to change others' lives, you know, through our experience and our message. And, you know, I am very blessed right now that, uh, that we got to relaunch, <laughs> but, uh, it all started in a, in a room of recovery. It started in 12 step. It started in mentorship and, you know, counseling. And, you know, I think it begins there and it begins connecting with others that have been through, the struggle and we all um have some a, a commonality you know we not only want to overcome it but we want to do better we want to become better people you know and i think you guys are doing um doing god's work man these are the platforms that people are listening to guys um Amen. podcasts and seminars and like people are tuning in so i don't know that's a hell of a story, man. That's yeah, one of the man. best stories I have heard. Hey, I have heard I a lot. everything to recovery and people like you and everybody that came before me, man, because I didn't even understand. I didn't know that any of this was possible. You know, I was sitting at a homeless shelter coming out of prison going, what now? You know, right, uh, right. and so the hope and inspiration that others gave me that had been sober for a while helped me find myself and obviously go on and accomplish some great things, you know, and I'm not done yet. I'm still moving, but I needed that guidance. I needed you guys to be there as that guiding light when I came in the room, you know? And so I want to make sure that I'm a beacon of light for others moving forward. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's once you, once you get that freedom, it's hard not to feel that sense of personal responsibility because now it's my, now it's up to me, you know, to reach out to check on somebody whether i know them or not right to reach one and teach one and and do what i can because somebody did that shit for me when i had no when i had no hope for myself right like and, and i mean we're not doing nearly enough for our youth like they deserve so much better than what we're giving them as a country and i'm not saying like any specific group isn't doing there's a lot of groups that are doing things for youth but you know we were products of the just say no era and 
you know, this yeah. is your brain on drugs and this and dare. And not that those aren't wonderful programs and wonderful messages, but what do we teach people as your plan B when you get into a situation like all of us did? What what do you do before you lose everything? How do you talk about it? We don't teach people to talk about not being perfect. We we teach them that heroes do this and heroes achieve this and that's what you have to do or else, you know, and and I always like I'm amazed, but I don't know. I hear it so much and I don't know why I'm always amazed. I should like just tape it to my forehead. But it's <laughs> some of the people that like we think had it all together that, you know, on the outside, you know, you probably looked like you had it all together until you didn't. But like people that are doing so well in life, a lot of times don't have the self-esteem or they have to supplement with substances or whatever the case may be to live up to people's expectations or. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm a big fan of internal wealth. You know, I, I obviously I, I, I do this as a business, but I also do this so that I can continue to do it. That's why it's a business. You know, I donate as much time as I charge for it, but the truth is I get more internal wealth than I do external wealth. You know, right? it helps me feel great about myself and, you know, um, and make change and do something for the world, you know, do something positive. And, um, you know, you're right. The resources aren't available. There's not, a, we're not doing enough. I work, let's put it this way. I know that I work way ex too hard to get the events that we get. Okay. Like it should, my phone should be ringing off the hook. Let's just put it that way with all the issues we have in the world and the help that these kids and how, how much these programs are needed, you know, um, it's, it's mind blowing actually, but, um, I am fortunate and thankful and blessed. Don't get me wrong. I just know that I have to work very hard right. <laughs> when it's a massive issue, you know, like it's, it's just mind blowing. Well, and the other thing is, is that they've done research and they've found that youth listen to somebody with lived experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone their age, but then we have these barriers to, I, I've been at these like community of meetings and, and there's people that have, you know, background barriers and they're, they're beacons in the community. A lot of them, you know, work at churches or they're business leaders in the community. This, the stuff that happened, happened 25, 30 years ago, and they've worked to rebuild their life since then worked 10 times harder than someone that didn't have a background to overcome to get to where they're at. Let's make sure we, we mentioned that because yeah. it, it's quadruple at least as hard to overcome as it is to start on a level playing field. So, so these things have been so far, but they're not allowed in the schools. They just want to tell kids what happens when you, you, you know, don't say no, or what happened, what prison is actually like, or what, your life will be like if you do make these decisions what it looks like they and they're told no all the time they can't go to the schools because they you know they have backgrounds and they can't be around children and so it's like and that happened like I was at this a meeting probably about two years ago and I was like we need to find a way to get that lived experience into the schools so that the kids don't have to live it but how you know is 20 years not enough to prove that they're safe? There's a yeah. lot of a lot of uh, 
a lot of red tape. Yeah, yeah, a lot of red tape and um, um, stigmatized and red tape and the things that kind of keep people like us stuck when we're trying to do something great, you know, something positive, you know. I've uh, dealt with a lot of red tape over the years, and the walls are slowly starting to come down. I've been sober a long time, guys. You know, I'm 19 years now, and I've worked really hard to get where I'm at. But, you know, and I still find myself kind of kind of um, finding a few walls to deal with, you know. But there's a lot less and less over the years. Um, a lot of tables I couldn't sit at that I can now. And, nice. you know, I think even in, seven, in, in all those years, and I've been speaking since 08, 09, even now compared to when I started, these conversations are getting more open. And I think that organizations and schools and businesses are starting to open up more personal conversations than ever before um, the last three or four years, you know? Um, and uh, we have found that, that kids respond to true life stories, you know? And it doesn't matter that I'm 52 years old, you know? I can still connect with these kids because we're talking about life. Yeah, seen struggle in their lives. They've seen addiction. There's fentanyl. People are dying. Like these kids, we can connect with these kids, guys. And 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 the sooner that we can all have an open, honest conversation in the school system, the sooner we can help our kids. You know, absolutely, totally. I think it's awesome that get rid of drugs. There's always going to be the next fentanyl. There's going to be the next. So yeah. the only thing we can do is to create environments that people don't want to use. Yep. Yep. Educate That's our kids, cool. positive environments and leadership. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, these programs are really important, you know, and uh, we need to keep doing what we're doing, you know? Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you for your service for the youth, man. That's huge. All right. JR, Ashley, you got to say something about this. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I did not want to neglect to uh, go there a little bit uh, with how we all hooked up because that was the other half of Pamela's suggestion. So, you know what the funny thing was is that, like, that whole time, so I knew JR like online before Mobilize and he had. And I had his book before Mobilize because um, he did this thing where he was wanting pictures of it all over the place. And so I sent him a picture of it, you know, in Daytona Beach because that's a fun place to have a picture. Um, <laughs> and he kept like the whole time with your podcast, he's like, you should have her on. You should have her on. And in your head, you're, I think you're like, she doesn't talk. Like, how am I going to have her on my podcast? She doesn't talk. He was trying to sell you the whole time. And then I. Look at the together, and I was on your podcast after that. Yes, ma'am. No, I was definitely not like that. I figured if you, if you, because trust me, 90% of people are like, even if they have the most amazing story and they're totally like out there and like the Pied Piper of recovery with sponsees down the block, these motherfuckers will not get on the microphone they're like no that's not my thing so it's not very many people are willing to do that you know and so when you said you wanted to be on i'm like yeah yeah let's do it you know you log for like six months at that time i know but i got you on oh yeah you like pushed me to the front but 
Well, Thanks. if I, I had a somebody flake on me, you know, like that happens from time to time, you know, it's not just with RRL, right? <laughs> We're yeah. not the only ones yeah. that have a flake, you know, so. But remember, you had like six months of um, like pre-recorded too at that time. You had a lot of people from Mobilize that wanted to be on. Yeah, and I still have. A quite a list of names from from that first year mobilized recovery uh, that I haven't gotten to yet. A lot of them are schedules just don't mesh. I work a ton. I mean, I was a sub in today, right? I'm a sub, right? You're a sub, dude, <laughs> and you should not. I wasn't on the. I didn't. I wasn't on the original cut list. But you they're grateful. <laughs> no, hey, Richard, I tried to get you on the show months ago. <laughs> right on. Yeah. I appreciate it. Don't say that. <laughs> but you know what? There is no subs and there is no, yeah. you know, Sean, Sean Weiss's story isn't more impactful or important than any of our story, right? All like the value that all everybody, the value we all bring, you know, it's just amen. immeasurable, guys. Immeasurable. You know, so yeah, it's like on the road, and I was like, Well, yeah, I want to talk recovery, I want to hear some recovery. Like, I need that right now, guys. There's a meeting, you know. I was like, Well, I'm in my car, is well, I'm almost home. (laughs) (laughs) Can we do it on the phone? I don't have a laptop, yeah, okay, let's go. (laughs) Tell tell me, JR Weaver calls, you got to answer. (laughs) Well, and I think it's so important the youth aspect because I hear it more and more every day that there's the parents in recovery now are, are, you know, actually we're at third generation probably, but, you know, parents don't know what to do because they taught their children growing up life of recovery. And then how do I talk about this stuff with my kid? I've always told them don't say no. So we're like repeating what we were taught, not on purpose, but so hearing someone that talking to youth and some of the stuff that you get, you know, feedback is I think important and good to hear. And it reminds us. Yeah. And there's value in those old programs, you know, just say no and dare and all that stuff. There's value in all that, you know, it's just ha- ha- being able to be of current, I guess, you know, um, of today and being a very current message and story. It just, it just, uh, just brings some more value to them, you know, I mean, it's really uh, being transparent and honest with the kids because I think they respect that the most. And they know, like, yeah. I'm high up there telling them, hey, you know, um, and 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 um, and we're able to connect. You know, I think it's in it, what I found is it's it's nationally like these kids are yearning to have these conversations. Right. They want to. They just don't know how. And talking about it and giving a green light and, and also doing, you know, giving everybody a green light in the room that we can have an open, honest conversation. You know, it's like me getting that vulnerable kind of gives a green light. And so, and I know it helps open up parents too, that are in the room, open up conversation with their kids from a different angle, you know, and being able to be that messenger. It's just, it, it's good stuff. Yeah. It, it might even just, be something as simple as, you know, like their kid uh, saying something to them, you know, uh, like their thoughts about it. And maybe the parent realizing like, oh, shit, you know, like it's time to have that talk, you know, like because right, how, right. how long do we protect them from certain information 
Yep. You know, and then all of a sudden realize like, wow, they're already uh, pretty, you know, they've been exposed to these things and they, they know these things already are going on around them. They don't know about my experience, but yeah. So it's like, it could be an eye opener, even in that way. Like just knowing that, yeah, they're, they're ready. Crowd goes home. I met this guy and, you know, starts opening the conversation and now they're talking about it at home, you know? So yeah, it's great. Well, and the other thing is, is, you know, the three of us are products of mobilized recovery. And as we think about, voters kids are the next generation of voters if we come and we tell our stories and they understand what recovery looks like and what falling and getting back up looks like we are able to change laws and prevent the barriers that so many people have today right with this new generation of voters so it's it's good for everybody amen yeah it was pretty sweet going to that thing it blew my mind that i was even able to uh, attend and that my application was accepted. I mean, I know that the, you know, the podcast is a great way to spread hope and spiritual wisdom and all of that. But at the same time, you know, I was like little old me, you know, like I'm not out there marching on Capitol Hill and making legislative changes and doing like these big things or speaking on national stages to, to super huge audiences, you know, I speak in a room full of like 20, you know, it could be 12, could be 60, you know, you never know. Uh, addicts and alcoholics. I've done a couple of those Alan or, you know, like uh, family support groups and it's a much heavier way. You need to weigh your words more carefully. You can feel uh, the rawness of their pain more and they're much more inquisitive. They have all these questions, whereas like, you, if you leave time at the end of your speech in a in a room full of addicts and alcoholics and you're like, anybody got any questions? People barely ever ask a question, but you're getting like everybody's hand going up at those family groups. And, yeah. uh, you know, and maybe that's just silly, too, for me to minimize that uh, the importance of that stuff, you know, or the, the ways that I give back, you know. But. Look into invitation to change groups. And and that that's one of my favorite family groups. It changes the conversation um, and teaches people how to communicate with their loved one. And it, I mean, no matter what you're struggling with, it's applicable. Pam mm-hmm. does it with Thrive. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's changed. So there used to only be Al-Anon and, you know, Al- Alateen and all this stuff. But now there's like so much more. Um, but a lot of people don't know about it. So those are really hopeful groups. If you want yeah. a hopeful family group. That was actually Thrive. Thrive's where I spoke uh, the first time for a family group. And then I, I didn't. And then I didn't Alan on. I actually uh, started advocating because of a group of moms that had lost their children to overdose because they were like, I wish my child had got to meet you. I wish, you know, a lot of the stuff you're saying, they said the same thing. I wish they they saw that there was hope, and so it was just like they they believed in me, even though they had every reason to hate me because I was here and their child wasn't. They right. they embraced me and loved me, and I was like, all right, let's we gotta use our voices. And otherwise, yeah. I'd still be being quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what a 
sense of purpose can do for you. You know, what a set, what a drive you will get when you see a need that needs to be filled and you feel a responsibility to step up and take action to fill that need. And, you know, I think it's really important that we try to educate ourselves. You know, Ashley is a great example of, geez, just the wealth of information that you've <laughs> accrued in a short period of time. I mean, it's, it's like you need to learn as much as you can so that you can educate as much as you can. And yeah, accept and love everybody. So that means you have to accept everybody for who they are, which means you want to learn about every pathway or every, you know, barrier and try to help people overcome that stuff. A lot of clinicians then don't want to work with families anymore because they're like, oh, they never, they never show up to their session. They don't show up for the person. And then when you go and, and talk to family members, they're like, we've done the same thing 15 times. They never reached out to us and said anything different and like we've gone through treatment this amount of times so we're angry and so it's like well maybe getting in the same room and talking about that might open the conversation and i'm going to tell you now i hear clinicians say that su family support whether it be birth family or chosen family is the number one indicator of, of success you have to have support mm -hmm. yeah that's key right there because in a, in a lot of it dude like when you have to draw healthy boundaries for your life sometimes that's going to include your blood relatives or you know right. exes significant others uh you know whatever it might be and yeah we need to you know build up a new community around ourselves you know get make some connections in in a, with some more positive guidance around us. <laughs> and so when you, you live in like an Oxford house, the people that live with you, that's your family, even though you weren't born blood relatives, like they become your family. When you oh, yeah. find a home group in a room, like that becomes your support system in your family. And so that linking into some kind of support system is imperative. No one can do this thing called life or recovery on your own. On the rest team too <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's about surrounding yourself with positive people surrounding yourself with people that have your best interests in line surrounding yourself with people that are going to boost you up um help you chase your dreams and your goals as you push them to be the best person they can be you know and this is the the important stuff in life you know these are the things that we strive to find you know, is that happiness and, and, and belonging and sense of purpose. And uh, in that process, hopefully we find our why and sense of purpose. It sounds like Ashley has found her why and purpose, you know, and it's fulfilling. Um, and, uh, you know, also um, don't devalue those groups that you're talking to the host there. You know, you're, you're, it, it, there's huge value in that, you know, a group of 10. I always say, even if there's one in the crowd, I'm going to talk to them, you know, whether it's a thousand or one, um, because that one might be that little Johnny that needed to hear that message, you know? Oh, totally, man. I'm, I'm not devaluing it no, whatsoever. I, yeah, I love it. I, I get I get just as much, if not more, sometimes out of those smaller, more intimate groups because 
you know, it's it's not just about what I can share if I'm a speaker, but to me, the real magic happens in small group or when, the, you know, everybody gets a chance to share or we get to conversate, you know, it depends on the meeting. Some are more conversational, some are like everybody shares and then it's done. But either way, uh, people, the, the sharing is so good. It's the best part. You know, we learn from each other. We grow with each other. We do life together. Even if it's just for this minute, you know, just this moment, we can kind of step alongside each other and lift each other up and empower one another, support each other, whatever it is. It's, it's a huge thing. And, and I like that too, because the bigger, you know, if it was a big stage with thousands of people, then I couldn't actually like give every one of them a hug or, right. <laughs> you know, shake their hand, bro. That's like, intimacy, I, you know, it's, it's, it, yeah. Grow from it and we connect, we connect at a higher level. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Oh, grassroots <laughs> change. That's where it starts. It starts in those little places with 20 people or 10 people. Right. Um, yeah. so, I mean, that's, yeah, I'm learning. Well, about it's funny. It's funny too, because I see it in this like narrow scope because when I do the podcast, even like this, this is four of us, but typically it's just me and a guest. And I'm like, you know, to me, that's all it is. I send that recording over. It gets, you know, put together by our, my other, the other guy, you know, Charles, and he does the post-production and releases it. But it's, like, weird when I look at, like, the stats because then I'm like, holy shit, you know? It's, like, thousands of people. It's, like, over 100 countries. It's, like, what? Right. But I'm not thinking about that at all when i'm having these conversations when i'm listening to you tell me your story that's it you know i'm i'm in the moment man i'm you know making that connection and so like my brain doesn't process it in that larger scale way it's just an intimate way for me you know that's that's why i think i was like whoa i'm at, like mobilized and this is crazy shit <laughs> you remember what you said to me when you interviewed me for your podcast uh which thing i mean we talked for like a long time that's true you said that i was going to do amazing things that you could feel it and that i was going to be a leader in the recovery community mm. Do you think that part of you saying that to me gave me confidence to continue because somebody that was on a podcast that talks to all kinds of recovery champions thought maybe I had something to say? I guess so. I guess so. So every person that I reach, you reach, and so does JR for believing in me. So you've got to think, like, I'm learning, you know, this is one of the things. So this week I started a class at Harvard, which I would have never been able to say, you know, I graduated college after I found recovery and then went back for my MBA. And so now I'm at a, you know, class called leadership, organizing and action leading change. And it's with change makers from all over the world talking about how to mobilize and organize for change. And it's like, don't discount the small stuff. Right. All I'm saying. Oh, it's, you know, that's just made me feel all emotional because I'm like, it's, it's awesome. You know, I don't, 
I'm always the last to know anything about me, right? Like I can see it in you guys. I can point it out. I can, I can hold somebody accountable. I can call it like I see it and usually be really good at giving advice or hitting the nail on the head, but I'm always the last to know it's me. Right. So like to, to have even somebody say something like you just said to me, you know, it's like that I impacted you in some way. That's powerful stuff, man. Cause I think even if we're doing the most amazing things, you know, I'm sure uh, Richard, you probably have that where you're like, you know, is it even fucking, is there any point? Like, you know, is it impacting anybody? Sometimes we all have that our moments of insecurity or like where we just don't feel like we're doing enough or we should be doing more, or, you know, Ask so. bad you. You know, that's what I, I call it. We need to get fed, too. You know, like, I, I need to get fed a little bit, too. And that's that's what she just did, you know, for you. And that helps keep us moving, you know. When yeah. I get a mom or a message from a kid or, or the right question afterwards, yeah, I, 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 you're right. You get kind of complacent in this place. But then all of a sudden, somebody pours their heart out to you. Mm. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, I'm refueled now. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I'll tell you a little story. Like when I was getting my four years celebrating, I went to this small church north of here, very small town, Lindstrom, Minnesota. Uh, actually, pretty big meeting, though, I'll tell you that. But it was an NA meeting at a church, and I'm with my sponsor and, and my grand sponsor and some other guys, and they're doing the key tag presentation and this chick gets up and I'd never seen this girl before in my life. She's known my story and followed it for, she said like three years on the, you know, sober and serious page, you know, just knows every detail of my story. She's been listening to the podcast for like the last two years, like listen to every episode since I've been on it. She starts opening up, you know, she grabs the key tag and starts talking about how much she knows about me. She feels like she's knowing me forever. And it was a weird, like, stripped naked kind of, like, exposed feeling because I'm like, who are you? And and then she was talking about how much it's helped her in her journey. And it, this chick had me balling up there, bro. Just balling. It was super cool. <laughs> That's great. It was. It was really cool. <laughs> we we live in this world that's like, we feel like it's so big, but it's really like so narrow. Because if you, you know, like when I was telling you before about Mobilize, I thought my story didn't matter. I was so quiet. I thought you didn't really think it was interesting, so you didn't want to hear it. And that's why you kind of kept putting me off. And then when you actually paid attention to it, then it was like, okay, well, maybe it does mean something. Maybe it does matter. So, you know, I was looking from my lens, not thinking, oh, okay, there's all these people that want to do it or his schedule is tight or, you know, like, right. and, and there's people that reach out to me that, you know, I'm in a million, like, and I really mean to reach out and sometimes it takes a little longer and I'm sure that they don't think that they're as important because, you know, for whatever reason, and that's not the case at all. It's, it's me and you know so i think that that's that's why this stuff you know you heard that you were impactful to her you you had these blinders and mm -hmm. you know 
Yeah, it's a trip when people are like, oh, I know you. And they know all about me. I'm like, oh, shit. They know, like, all about me. <laughs> Our brains lie to us. Like, they really do. And we just have to. Yeah, it's know. true. Yeah, Ashley was the quietest person out of how many people were in that room? 400? <laughs> I don't know. I can. I think it was, like, 200 in-person yeah. participants. that All over the nation. Or 250? Well, all over the nation, there was, geez, uh, thousand. She had her little notebook out with her colored markers, and I was like, let me sit next to her and talk to her. Right? Yeah. You know, I'm a shy guy naturally, but, you know, I got her to talk. I still regret not doing the zipline thing. Yeah. But, like, we were on our way to walk in somewhere, but we were literally, like, right next to that thing. And I just... And I could have been like, for people quick. in recovery, they don't do a lot of daring stuff. I tried to get so many people to go on the zip line and they didn't want to touch it. I'm like, impulse, like, this is great. This is a positive. Well, I wanted to do, I mean, I ain't scared to do it. I just was like, in, I, I was honest, I felt like I was like in the middle of summer. I was obligated to stick with that group because we were on our way to do something. But really, I mean, what all we did was like walk around, <laughs> chit chat. We didn't really do much, nothing. We just went and like looked at the front of some stuff, looked at some signs and shit. We were just walking on that old part of town, Fremont or whatever. Is that Fremont? Fremont with yeah. with that you. big light thing that, yeah. It was JP and he was maybe there with his wife or something. And he thought I was like, hitting on him and I was just trying to get people to come <laughs> so I wasn't doing it alone and so like he's like I'm here with my wife and I'm like bring her too and he's like well, I'm like I'm like no we're just I just want people to, to do it I don't want to do this alone because the people that were going to come with didn't want to go on it they just wanted to watch I'm right. like let me find somebody so she didn't ask us Jason we asked her she asked me I was saying yeah I'm saying she asked me, but I was like, no, I'm sorry. I'm like already doing something with a group of people, blah, blah, blah. And I bought it on Groupon too. So I had like extra Ah. places. So it was free. So I was like, come do this. So I'm not wasting. Yeah. It was fun. I should have did it, Ashley. I would have did it if I was asked. Regrets. I've had a few. (laughs) Are you sure I didn't ask you, JR? I don't remember. She did. I did, yeah. Yeah, you did. My my wife's the one that does the the zip lining and gondolas and anything higher than, you know, up in the air. I'm the guy that just is like, no, no, no. (laughs) I'll be down here videoing, you know. This big, bad, scary guy won't climb up on the roof. Oh, sorry, guys. That's me. (laughs) I want to plan, like, a recovery, like, jumping out of a plane with, like, purple parachutes or people in purple, like for recovery month, like all across. And then like, maybe a flight. Yeah, do the shatterproof thing. And then we could have like pictures of people doing it all over the country. I think that'd be cool. Dude. I'll do it. That could be your your recovery challenge Challenge, this year. Recovery challenge, skydiving. Instead of trying to get people to do the signs, be like, I got to step up my game for you. Yeah, I know. Yep. It was good for the first time. Hey, you got us on Times Square. <laughs> Dude, typically I think, I'm the I think first jumping one. out of a plane would get you on, on Times Square again. 
Yeah. You can have little oh, shoes with the different places where he's got the Times Square thing locked down because he's JR fucking Weaver. Right. Come on. The addiction hey, manifesto. Hey, he's tight. He's tight like Tiger. <laughs> if you guys don't know, JR wrote this kick ass book. Oh man, you know you're plugging that. Now you're pulling out all the stuff. The Addiction now. Manifesto by J.R. Weaver. This has one little uh we need a new updated picture with all the new awards. How many awards are on that book now, JR? Um, I don't really know. I think six, maybe seven. This is a gang of awards, you guys. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm gonna need to order the Be a Champion in Life book now. And so I've got to add it to my collection. Yeah, Richard, we got to get you on for a full... Well, I don't know. You've pretty much been on a full show, haven't you? You should have sent me... <laughs> dude, he has. He has. And you should have sent me a picture of his book so that I could have did the same thing for him. I was... Yeah, we were 15 minutes into the show. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, usually when we have a guest scheduled, right? Like, prep work is already done. So we have you know we create those kinds of images for for the yeah. guests so yeah here jason i'm sending it to you in messenger right now but i don't know yeah. how to do all that shit with the cool background because that's not part of the we'll stream here put it on there i will yeah, did you send it in messenger hey, need a bunch messenger. Of flash. <laughs> did you send it in messenger ashley yes i did okay cool because it did yeah. the can, uh, private message me your address and I'll, I'll send you guys each a book oh, thank oh you. hell yeah man thank you yeah richard i really i really really enjoyed your story man i i heard my own story in there when you're when you were saying uh that you heard that people saying well that's the voice is saying that you can't do this because you're a felon because you're a convict because you're an addict yeah that was that same voice that was telling me the same exact things you know and and the worst thing was it was they were all coming from up here yeah. You know, everybody else is like, you could do it, you could do it. But it was just, it was, I was holding myself back. And when, when I finally, you know, was able to get rid of that and, and step into my fears, it was like, man, the world just opened its arms and like, welcome back. Yeah. You're you know, big. Help me with that. It's like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not society holding us back. We're holding back ourselves. I mean, we're limiting ourselves from, you know, achieving that, that life that we actually want. That, and, yeah. There's the book. It is, dude. Oh, you did. Yeah. Hey, this is a great background around it. This is yeah. fun right here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. Look at that. Yeah, I don't usually run the stream, dude. Brett, Brett is the stream guy that does the stream yard, all the like behind the scenes. So this I'm I'm doing the best I can. You're doing a great <laughs> job. Doing a hell of a job, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a great show. I haven't been on a, a recovery type podcast or conversation in a while, guys. Like this, this is pretty awesome for me. Just so you know, I mean, I've been on multiple podcast, you know, but this is specific. It's focused. This is this is what I needed right now, you know. So, oh, I'm sure you're probably gonna get you're gonna get like three more invites at the end of this. <laughs> I already am, I sent him an invite. 
to be a friend or friend request. I guess that's what it is. Okay, I'll make sure I check that right when I get off the phone. I'll be able to find it. Yeah. Right. We'll have to link up because we have a young <coughs> for our conference this year too. And there's other places with young adult I can link you into. Excellent. Where are you guys at right now? Where are you guys from? Where are you guys at? Let me. I'm in Florida. You're in Florida. Got it. Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, I caught that too earlier. You said, yep. And then San, San Jose, Costa Rica. Yep, Costa Rica. Yep. Costa Rica. He's from South Carolina though. Yeah, yeah I can were... plug you. I can plug you into the schools in South Carolina too, because we used to do. Uh, we we had an event just like uh, uh, DJ Choices writing over addiction that he would go into the schools and talk and share a story. Excellent. Yeah, we just uh, we were just in South Carolina. We had five schools in South Carolina. Actually, they came through. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a bunch. There's a bunch that were actually interested in his program, but he kind of uh, vanished. The Bluffton area over there, whatever you know, the over on the coast. We have a couple of recovery schools too, and then um, there's also like the Department of Juvenile Justice. They always say it's really hard to get get speakers and get people to inspire, and that's a you know, yeah, a great like place to really spread hope because that's yep perfect sure. time to change and not have that background holding you back and stuff. What uh, we're gonna go back on another national tour like we did next um, next uh, August, and it's gonna be extended longer though. This year it was kind of short. We had some issues, had to get back to the West Coast. Um, and this spring, I go back out March and April, but I'll be flying around. But we love being on the ground, you know. We took our trailer and hit the road, you know, and it was just a different kind of kind of tour. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, we were in Pensacola and, uh, uh the Northern, uh, area of Florida. We didn't get really too far South. They had the tornado recently, right before we got there. And so we kind of crested into Florida, but not too far South. Nice. Our conference is in Orlando this year. Yeah, we were, we were there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just youth is where it's, that's one of our opportunity and you know, our priority areas is Excellent. young adults and families. Yeah. That's great. I love it. All right. You so guys, what do you guys think? Should we wrap it up? <laughs> Sorry, we both, I freaking can't, I, I canceled you out. I couldn't hear you. What? <laughs> I was saying the same thing you were. Yeah. Should we wrap it up? <laughs> All right. I will wrap it up then. So, Thank you guys for watching us tonight and uh, listening in on Recovery Revolution Live. If you want to follow us on YouTube, find it and subscribe and you'll get notified when we go live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, we're at recoveryrevolution.org slash live. I have a podcast uh it's called the way out podcast i do with my buddy charles uh we're on all the major platforms we got like 334 episodes currently we've been doing this for a long time uh we share powerful recovery stories and we unpack power topics like uh you know common stumbling blocks and 
whatnot, what have you, different, all sorts of different topic episodes as well are in the catalog. We also have the Whale playlist. It's uh, exclusively on Spotify. It's a curated list of uh, songs that symbolize recovery to all of our wonderful guests. Then Brett, who wasn't here tonight, he is usually the magic man behind the scenes there. He has his own podcast, Recovery Survey bite-sized morsels of recovery his episodes are much shorter than ours they're about a half hour in length or so and uh then lc who also wasn't here tonight he's got the recovery soul food podcast uh his podcast is created to nourish your recovery soul in his podcast they will restore explore strategies and proven actions that actually shift mindsets surrounding addiction and recovery as well as meet real life recovery warriors that are living their dreams the type of addiction is not important only that you are hungry for change and ready to achieve your highest life goals so sit back relax and get ready to grow so that's lc's show and uh jr again awesome author of the addiction manifesto so yeah that being said you guys take care of yourselves and remember progress not perfection